0: Welcome to the inside. This was the week the world turned its attention to China, where New Year's celebrations are kicking off alongside the Winter Olympic Games. And as the year of the tiger gets underway, we all send our best New Year's greetings along with wishes that 2022 is also the year of the cinema. I am Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and with me is Wim Byens. He serves as CEO of Sanionic, and he joins us live from Brussels, Belgium, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Good morning, Jim. Good to see you. Wim, uh, we all turn our attention to China uh, this week. There have been a couple of remarkable achievements for their film industry in the last year as the pandemic swept much of the world infected so many releases. China saw several of its own films do really, really well. Uh, one, it's The true Battle true. of Lake Chenjin, is now ranked just behind Spider-Man. It's the second biggest box office hit of 2021. That's worldwide. And they did their revenues in China, but it shows you how big a movie that was. Yep. Number three on that list is another Chinese film, High Mom. Then you've got No Time to Die, Fast and Furious 9, Detective Chinatown, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Godzilla vs. Kong, and finally, uh, Marvel's Shang-Chi, along with The Eternals at number 10. So those are the top 10 movies of the year at the box office, three of them from China. So it is kind of the year of the the tiger, isn't it?
1: I know, I know, right? But I think what you see here for me is that, that it is just a big market, right? China is a big market. A lot of people, we all know that. And they, they love going to the movies. And I think that the fight is on to, to create the best content and to attract most people. They have big expectations. There are several important titles they're getting out. It's always their the hot season, uh, the, the Lunar New Year. But they definitely have invested a lot of money in content creation. They're pushing hard of getting of people to the theater. Uh, there's a lot of traveling happening uh, when, when there's a China New Year, right? People going back to their hometowns. Typically, uh, often once a year, so that's when families come together, and so it's it's a big part of of reunion of of families, and then going to the movies is a great way of of uh, also relaxing and and enjoying uh, their time. So so I, I'm I'm looking forward, uh, but I think it's going to be strong uh, the next couple of weeks. Yeah.
0: When it is awards season in Hollywood, yep. and there's a special excitement centering around uh, this year. It was a rough year. Last year, obviously, to get the movies made and then to actually get out and see the movies. But what a list of uh, terrific films up for honors. Dune from Denis Villeneuve has 10 Oscar nominations. Denis will be honored with our Harold Lloyd Award uh, on March the 4th. There's a great deal of excitement around Jane Campion, Power of the Dog, Guillermo del Toro, uh, Nightmare Alley. They're both nominated for Best Picture. The musical West Side Story from Steven Spielberg, uh, nominated for Best Picture, and Steven Spielberg nominated for Best Director, uh, as well as the acclaimed Disney Encanto. That's the animated musical from Lin-Manuel Miranda. And last but not least, Luca, which is nominated for Best Picture. It's the latest uh, animated feature film from Pixar, and it's now the most streamed film on Disney+.
1: Jim, we are very proud to have a special guest here today. A few films have been captured the imagination of movie lovers this year more than Luca from Pixar. Set in an Italian seaport, the story was inspired by the childhood of its writers and director Enrico Casarossa. Luca has been praised by fans and critics alike, with the New York Times calling it the story about discovery, and a pleasure to discover. Welcome, Enrico. It's
2: a pleasure to be here. Hello.
1: First of all, Enrico, congratulations with this film, right? It is a beautiful and, and fun to watch. Tell us a little bit about what was your inspiration uh, to make this one, to make Luca?
2: Yeah, I often I I find that we here at Pixar look for two ingredients. One is what is the fantastical side? What is going to be really fun to animate and then create worlds around? And what is the personal side so the two inspirations one was very much where i grew up and and, um i grew up in genova on the on the ligurian coast the italian riviera and so i had the luck of having these beautiful summers and i knew that that setting would be be uh, so unique the cinque terre are these five little towns that are really uh, between you know mountains and sea, they're, they're just stuck in time, these five little uh, wonderful hamlets. So I knew that that would be a great setting. And they were. The, I, I always loved the idea of sea monsters and sea monster maps, those ancient maps, the Carta Marina, always were fascinating. And when I started thinking about a personal story, I thought about my best friend and how much he was very, very outgoing, very different from me. And I was shy and how much that friendship helped me grow up. And that kind of came together. Those two elements came together. Like, what if there's these two kids that have this huge secret? They can look human, but they're actually sea monsters. And it felt interesting to talk about kids, you know, going through growing and and. And having the secret, the sense of shame and some, something that they couldn't show. So I remember what, in one of those first pitches was like, oh, yeah, I I felt like an outsider. And, and you know, everybody could kind of relate in different ways to this kind of strange idea of, of someone who can, you know, look human but isn't human.
0: This film seems to set itself a little bit apart from... The typical things that we would expect from Pixar, it seems a, a little bit more lyrical, maybe a little poetic, very personal. How how do you see this uh, this film in that way?
2: Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you 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 feel that and that has been felt. That was definitely a goal. I I love movies that uh, take a little bit of time, I have a moment of lyricism or an in between moment of nature. So. I knew I wanted to bring some of that slightly different pace. So that meant like trying to do things a little bit differently, trying to slow it down a little bit and trying to stay in the world of kids with their point of view, with their kind of wondrous point of view. There was some of the goals we set for ourselves. And that went all the way into style choices and bringing an expressionistic little bit of a vibe to the image which for us was like whatever we could we would bring some imperfection some uh, texture out of uh, watercolor or you know the way we we really thought of it was just sometimes less was more so so it could be a little bit poetic like our waves are a good example where i you know i really wanted to have beautiful little shots of just a lapping wave on a a beach. And, you know, we we worked really hard to stylize our effects so that they wouldn't be completely photorealistic. And, and, you know, very often they become very busy. So we were trying to simplify and find a beautiful design of it. And in some way that makes me think about poetry, right? How it can kind of bring language to a simple lyrical
1: moment. Enrico, a reviewer wrote this about Luca. Pixar movie have explored complex themes in a way that is lucid enough uh, for everyone. Luca continues this glory tradition. It is the celebration of likely friendship, but also tackles the theme of acceptance of the other. The story is open for multiple interpretations, but sea monsters can serve as a metaphor for any marginalized group. Luca, as a continual delight, a film that will make you feel warm and fuzzy. Luca is one of the most beautiful films you will see this year. Fantastic wording here Enrico. So when you talk about sea monsters being a metaphor for marginalized folks talk about that you know how do you how do you came to that?
2: Yeah, I I think we knew from day one that the metaphor of this otherness and specifically sea monsterness could have all these wonderful you know faceted meaning that uh, for example in my life it, it, it had, had a meaning first of just being a bit of a loser and a nerdy kid my best friend and I were outsiders and that's the way I experienced it. and we felt like we didn't fit in and we were goofy and I also felt it a little bit I felt that otherness as an immigrant I came into this country and and so I experienced a lot what Luca experiences in Puerto Rosso in wanting to fit in but not bringing all of himself right wanting to fit in as a as a human it was me trying to be um I, I i don't want my italian accent or i i i didn't you know i wanted to fit in in the us and not really stick out too much so that was some of the 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 facets that i brought to it but, of course, we knew that there were metaphors of race, metaphors, of course, of, of uh, gender expression. And and, and the, when the LGBTQ community really leaned into that, I was asked many times, are they a couple? And, you know, I think I, I wanted to point out that I saw, of course, I experienced the friendship and we're both straight men and that I wanted to talk about friendship and what friendships do. I don't respect it completely, the fact that, of course, this is a... A journey of owning your real self, especially when Luca at the end shows himself truthfully and risks everything to save Alberto, is so much a moment of I'm coming out finally and showing you all of myself. Of course, everyone brings a different sense of how they feel different. And so I have been really trying to keep everybody reminded of the fact that this is about being open. Let's not close this uh, one way no, or the other. Right. Um, right.
0: It's affirms everyone. Right. That's, the, everyone can feel affirmed. And I think it's just interesting that these groups are saying, oh my gosh, this movie made me feel affirmed.
2: And seen, right. So much of it is being seen. And, and also talking about if we have some curiosity for each other, we can bridge differences and there will be always people that will not, but. We, it's all about finding the ones that you know will be by your side and open enough. Yeah, I, I, I very much appreciated that, and I do feel like great stories and, and, and good stories allow you to put yourself into the character. So, I, I, I think it should have wonderful different interpretations.
0: 10 years ago, our judges uh, were looking at work, and I got a call from uh, the head of our awards saying, Boy, they saw a short that they absolutely fell in love with called La Luna from Pixar. Turns out it was your film. <laughs> and it it was charming, it was artistic, it was lyrical, it was sweet, and you have not lost your style because I felt that in watching Luca. Did that film inform this one at some level?
2: Yes, and I I, I think I, I'm, I'm so, you know, thank you for, for the beautiful thought there, because that was the goal. That was, is there a way to have a slightly different voice for a feature? You, we knew a short could have a more lyrical sense of, of pace and, and and storytelling. So the challenge was like, how could we translate that to a feature? And I can assure you that there were moments where we were like, not sure if we could do it. So like, just like those moments of, of learning and when you get knocked down. So it, I'm so proud and so happy that we were able to come on the other side with something that feels unique, a little different. I think widening the kind of storytelling, the kind of vibes and and tone of our movies is wonderful. I am excited even for Turning Red, which is a whole other wonderful curveball coming at everybody in, in in just a month from Domi Shi. So I, I I feel like I'm on at the beginning of a wave of, different stories that hopefully are just as wonderful and, and emotional and funny as all Pixar movies. But I, I, I'm i so happy that I was able to bring some of that La Luna vibe to this movie. It was
1: definitely a goal. Luca was, if I'm correct, your first you know feature film, right? Can you tell us what it meant to you? Did you have mentors or advisors on this one?
2: Yeah, it's what a what a wonderful journey you you know you head into this big you know it's it's very different from directing a short. I can say that a short doesn't quite prepare you for for this journey. Um, yeah, I always think of it like a sea a sea odyssey of some sort. You know, you set off and you know there's going to be storms. And, um, and you're going to have your, you know, sales tattered, and you have to, you know, get back up and get going again. So I think we have amazing mentors. I think Pete Docter to me has always been the wonderful, a wonderful person to see directing from afar. I got at Pixar, you know, when he had just finished Monsters, Inc. And I worked with him on Up. And I always, it, it, his personality is certainly more um more of an introvert a little more of a quiet guy i love the movies he made but i remember thinking like if he can do it maybe i could too it was a wonderful example of someone who wasn't like an amazingly I mean, we have amazing uh, talents like brad bird andrew stanton they are very very secure and, and very, you know, confident and, uh, and outgoing. So uh, that was a big, a big help for me to see myself in that place of being able to direct, even though I'm more of an introvert and more of a, you know, someone who didn't immediately feel like could do it.
1: You worked with a terrific cast uh, of actors, right? Including Jacob Tremblay as Luca and Jack Laser as Alberto how do you go about bringing life of the story with, with those actors, right? What are those conversations like? Oh, it was wonderful. I, I mean, it,
2: they're very different also because Jacob, we had a little bit of time at Pixar. It was before the pandemic. So we showed him all the artwork and, you know, we had, we really had we could spend a day with him bringing him into the world. I think there's so much imagination projection that the actors have to do in animation because they're in a booth by themselves that the more you can really paint a picture for them. And so uh, that was a huge thing, having him see our art room, uh, seeing some of the beginning. We, we had our characters starting to be able to move in the computer. That was a, a big part. But for Jack Dylan Grazer, we... I remember the only time we met him in person is actually for his audition because then we were locked out. We were in LA to for an, auditions, and that's the only time we saw him. And we recorded everything from his mother's closet <laughs> with him, which was uh, certainly difficult. But I think you know what I don't love about animation is how we record everything very separately. And to be honest, we had a lot of plans and a lot of wishes to try and bring them together. For example, to play off of each other. And we couldn't because of the pandemic. So, what that be- then becomes important is that I, as um, directing them, I felt I needed to be in, in playing off of each other. So, I tried to instead of maybe normally I might ask someone else to read with them, or I would just maybe just listen more to kind of figure out if we got the take. I just got in there and tried to really play off and play the other part to give them something to react to because. Especially for kids, I think you know that I think that can help. Just really be in the moment. I think it really helped. First of all, we have two two of the most talented child actors that that you could think, but also they embodied the characters quite uh, naturally. So that was a huge factor in our help. I think there's something innocent. And um, this wonderful naivete, but with sweetness and and curi- pure curiosity in Jacob and in his voice. Jack, obviously, as this troublemaker, I'm going to, I'm probably going to chase, uh, going to uh, get in trouble by following him kind of a vibe. It's very charismatic, naturally, and also a vulnerability. Of course, our character needed a sense of pain underneath it, which I think Jack was was really great when he brought the emotion was so strong. Uh, of course, Alberto has some real scars that that we reveal in the movie. So I think you know I couldn't think of a, b- a better pair of of um, you know actors, and even though they're kids, they're so talented and so experienced, which was actually interestingly a little bit the opposite. Where our Julia Emma Bergman, who it was completely she she's local here, she she lives in San Francisco. We found her. She had not done anything before other than probably some some uh, school plays. And she just had this energy. I remember meeting her the first time, shaking her hand, and she was just chuckling. She couldn't contain this joy inside her with this kind of chortly, beautiful texture. And so we quickly knew there was something special there. And that, that was actually talent that was just natural and you know we, we worked much more with her but uh what um what an amazing uh, work she did for Julia because she brought so much to Julia and her energy and her you know joy I think it was funny how, how sometimes if she had to play really serious we would have to really really counteract because some joy would kind of seep through her voice that so she really had it naturally so I, yeah, I'm. I, you know, kids are such an interesting. Uh, sometimes people are like a little afraid of working with kids because they can be a lot of work. But I, it, it made me play with them more, and I really enjoyed it. That way, I got, I felt I was in
1: in in the trenches with them, acting uh, by their side. It's probably the first it was the first Pixar film which was made during the COVID, uh, you know, pandemic. How did the closing of uh, Emeryville campus affect the production? And, and what are hurdles you guys had to get over to really make this a success?
2: Yeah, I think like almost everybody, we had a moment of, you know, if you go back to the metaphor of being on a ship voyage, we were like, okay, there's no wind. We're all stuck here. There's, there's, what do we do? Uh, can we even do this? Right. But pretty quickly people's resourcefulness come in. And like, I think like the whole industry, you realize. Can we record? Because one huge thing is, can you record your actors? We were in, we had not recorded a quarter or a third of what we needed. So quickly, we realized with a lot of smart technicians uh, how we could do it from home. So, as you've probably heard from many filmmakers, you, we would send iPads and microphones and setups, and then everything became Zoom. Zoom, uh, directing an actor and recording them, right, and and of course everything else became Zoom. So I think it's, it surprised us what we could do actually, you know, amazingly, quite a lot. Where we got a little bit hit, we knew that productivity just got lowered a little bit because we were all dealing with kids at home. We're like, you know, so we we needed to be scrappier. One thing that happened, which I I find interesting because it became a limitation, but actually also a strength, it made us realize that we needed to be very efficient with the amount of shots. So we looked at the movie and we realized that we need to bring some shots down, still tell the same story. And that made us in layout where we we're choosing every camera shot, every, every setup, be very mindful of like, well, can we tell that shot, those two shots in one, those three shots in one, And it gave this, um, and even in edit, do we we needed that moment. Maybe it can be a tiny bit shorter. It brought a certain amount of economy that I think to me solidified some of the storytelling. And in some way, you can be lyrical and, and take your time with something when you have contrast. So it actually made us amp up a little bit the contrast so that you could feel that something was a little bit languid and poetic when there was something a little snappier next to it so we had to be scrappy because we knew we couldn't produce as much but it made us in in an interesting way kind of just be creatively a little bit more aggressive and it made me have to say like do oh, do i absolutely need this or not or do i need this shot so i think it was a good overall uh, something that i didn't feel it impacted creatively the movie in fact it probably helped yeah
0: Our insider today is the director of Pixar's Luca Enrico Casarosa. We'll be right back. The
1: Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced services and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 95,000 projectors installed globally, cinemas around the world trust laser projection by Cineonic to power the next generation of moviegoing. Visit Cineonic.com today and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow today.
0: Our guest today is director Enrico Casarosa.
1: Enrico, how do you get everybody on the same page and create that consistent vision? That's a good question. I mean, I
2: think what happens through, you know, we, we have this big meeting of, uh, called the Brain Trust, you, you might have heard before, but that is when we put up our rough storyboard uh, version of a movie and a room of directors and producers and kind of key uh, people come together and give feedback and you get notes and so you have a lot of smart people giving you notes so then it it becomes this feedback loop that slowly that is uh the the people that stays with you that room usually gets a little bit smaller as you get closer and closer to production and that i think it becomes out of necessity right everybody's very busy but also becomes like who are the people that really get what you're after and who really want to see that kind of a, a tone and, and, and vision. So I think that is a big part of how you get people together. Like, for example, I realized pretty early on, we had a slightly bigger movie with a bigger ending. And, and we all got in that room and everybody felt like the interesting thing to really lean into is the relationships. Let's stay smaller in scope. Let's stay with this relationship of these two boys. As far as more the... The crew. Then you have this. You know, you feel so privileged because you have this amazing talent around you that are here to make this movie with you. And I, I think the other way that I found, again going back to learning experiences, you know, I it's really a lot about seeking the collaboration explaining very clearly what every moment and what, what is the heart of the story, what matters the most. Like, I, I feel as, as kind of being the general, you're, you're kind of reminding everybody, here's what this scene needs. Here's what, a, what this moment needs to do. So I, I found that that was a really key thing that I had to learn of just finding the clarity to point everybody toward the direction but also allow for this amazing collaboration because it, it's just really unique. Uh, you have this group of people that comes together the only time because you know all the crews kind of mix and 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 on different movies, so it, it's unique. And I think you know that that becomes easier when that heart is relatable. So there were so many people that are like, oh, I had a friend like that. I know exactly. I or oh, I was the troublemaker, <laughs> right? So that was a big part that people could find from the personal, here's my personal story, and here's these Italian things that, of course, need to be specific and right, and I might have been often the one that only knew them, but then they could bring their um, experience of friendships that really become architects uh, of your identity. Well,
0: there are a couple moments in this film where I think you placed little diamonds for people to discover with familiar faces and tributes to two great Italian actors, Marcello Mastroianni and Giulietta Messina. A portrait from divorce Italian style is referenced when Alberto checks his mirror on his Vespa. And I looked at it at the moment and said, what is, who is that? And I, I, that's the beauty of a Pixar film. You think it's for the family and you're an adult and you're looking at it and your curiosity is, is charged because you're saying, wait a minute, there's, I think there's some references here to Italian cinema. So tell us about that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I knew from day one that, that this was the perfect place to put homages to all the cinema I grew up with and some of the, you know, the heroes of Italian cinema. Giulietta Mazina specifically It was a big reference for me. Uh, I remember showing her acting in La Strada to the animators for La Luna, for our little kid. Our little kid had a sense of wonder in his eyes that I I, I really asked him to think of her, Uh. of those eyes, right? Julieta Mazzina's eyes and the way she could communicate so much with her face. So she's just, you know, very high in, in the pantheon, so I knew we um you know the first boat you see in the movie is called jill sumina which is the character in in lesterada her character so i always loved her of course fellini and his um oneric and dreamlike sequences are a big influence to our movie right we found our ways to put some fantasy imagination going into the 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 imagination of luca it's very much inspired by some of his wonderful flights of fancy and, and dreams And then when it came to this idea was it was just such a funny idea because well, first of all, you know, there's something very smug and very funny about the character in in divorce Italian style of of Mastroianni. And of course, you know, Mastroianni being Fellini's muse and but when we found this photo there was something so funny that it felt connected to Alberto someone he could look up to and one wonderful little thing is that that happened is the animator went to see the movie and then he pitched me this idea what if Alberto does this very subtle little thing that I think this this is the deepest cut I think in the movie he does this Sound with this mouth to the side, <laughs> and because that's what the character does three or four times in the voice Italian style.. Brilliant. And I thought it was such a great, you know that w- what a wonderful story about collaboration. Not only we we put Mastriani now, He's having this even, even more of an homage, uh, copying what uh, Mastriani did. So um, yeah, I, I you know between that and the fact that we had a little Italian town in the late '50s, felt perfect. You know, let's put a cinema in this town. Let's put some posters in the town. We wanted to really make it feel authentic and and give all these wonderful little love letters. To all the things you know that, that that make Italian culture, especially in that golden era of of you know Italian cinema, it just felt so right.
0: So, so Marcello's daughter—that's
2: right—dubbed.
0: Yeah. Dubbed part of this movie for uh, the French version, or that's right. Yeah. You actually brought her, brought the family into the movie making.
2: Yes, what what a, what a crazy thing! I, I the the French office from Disney let us know the day I cast her, so I didn't even know. And she plays Daniela. She plays Luca's mom in the French version. And uh, they are like, "Do you want to meet her?" And I was like, yeah, "Of course I do." So we we had this wonderful zoom call it was like we were just still finishing the movie and she was so amazing you see first of all she was so open to tell me about stories about her dad and most of the stories she she remembers like how much he loved movie making and how he he really came alive on sets in a way that he says at at home he didn't know what to do with himself so he really Mm. his identity was so tied to movies and one wonderful detail that really stayed in my mind that she mentioned that, that whenever she, she would spend summers on sets with dad. And she mentioned how he would always talk about like, oh, tonight we're going to go to this little trattoria or this restaurant. And I'm going to order this dish and I'm going to order that dish. That food brought so much happiness and food and, and being together with people. Because of course that would be the, where the whole crew would go. So, um, yeah, what, what a wonderful, I was just so happy to be able to talk to her and hear a bit about, you know, her memories of her dad.
0: Enrico, to hear you discuss what the team was doing in order to get this film done, the notion that you had an actor working in a closet at his mother's house in order to get something done and that you're putting this film together on Zoom calls is astounding because it is a film that you watch and say, this has all of the artistic and quality and all of the characteristics you would assume of a team working very intimately together with all the resources available to them over a period of years. And so to hear how you were able to do this, this, to me, seems to be nothing short of magical. Do you think the pandemic and the way we make movies is forever changed in some aspects? Are you hungry for the moment to get right back to the way you were making your films prior to COVID? How, how do you view that?
2: Well, that's a great question. I think it's a little bit of a mixture of the two. I don't think we can completely just go back as it, with many things. I don't think that will be really possible, but I don't think it'd be preferable. There are some great lessons here of some flexibility, pragmatism, that i think we need to carry forward on a creative side and especially in those you know collaboration and and really story collaboration writing collaboration that to me is where you want people in the room there's just an energy to a brainstorm an energy in a pitch uh whiteboarding something you know we do a lot of thinking about the structure of the movie, where is the relationship? So a lot of graphs and kind of simplifying where the characters are, and or or like more like you know making sure that we have all the, the the dots in the right place. It definitely threw a big wrench in in the machine, but I think it brought us together in an interesting way because we were going through something unusual. And I think during the pandemic, we all could use a little bit of sense of purpose. So that I think in a weird way, even though we were very busy and juggling kids and families, it brought a sense of of goal and purpose, which which kind of made it
0: nice. And your your films literally help people get through this horrible experience psychologically. Um, Wim's company, Wim, you make projection equipment and are installed in about hundred thousand movie theaters worldwide. Your customers very much want movies back on the screen in cinema. Uh, Enrico, you, you come from a a love of cinema. You make these films. This movie ended up on Disney Plus because of COVID and other factors. It's the number one streamed movie on Disney Plus, so that's wonderful. But let me ask both of you: When the cinemas worldwide are hungry for? Enrico's next film to be on cinema?
1: Absolutely. I think it should be both, right? I think there shouldn't be a choice to be made in that sense. But no, I do believe that, that getting it on the big screen and a movie like this is absolutely suited, in my opinion, for the big screen. There's a group of people who loves to see it rather on the big screen than at home, right? And I think you are more dedicated to that, right? Uh, you don't get interrupted so much than being at home. So I do believe that, that a movie like this and I hope the next your next movie you make uh, Enrico, that, that you get the chance to be on the big screen from my point of view. But of course, I don't mind streaming. It, it's great to be on streaming, but I think both has definitely a value. And you have different audiences also enjoying both, in my opinion.
0: Enrico, how do you feel about uh, your next film being being back in cinema and, and available at some point at Disney Plus? Or does it make a difference to you and the filmmaking team at, at Pixar?
2: No, I, sh- I sure hope so. I, you know, we make this movies uh, really to be appreciated in, in, in detail in, in the theater. You know, we spent, we were the only ones Epics are in the big theater with like only 10 of us when we were finishing this movie, you know, because we, we really review it, look at it, and we we make it on the big screen. So, we yeah, we were really sad that we couldn't have that experience. And honestly, since I've seen a few screenings and I've had Q&As after screenings of the movie that had such a wonderful energy when you're around, uh, around uh, an audience that has seen the movie and they have questions and it was just wonderful. The story of Luca sadly has been intertwined with, with the pandemic, not not our wish, but um, we were very happy and lucky that people could enjoy it. So together and have this communal world experience. But I think we do miss out. I, I'm with you where I feel like unfortunately nowadays when we watch at home, there's so many interruptions. I don't think you have the same experience when you're streaming something. You're going to get a text. You're going to you're going to make yourself a coffee. You you know, I think to me that experience, not, not only you're together with other people and 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 all having that experience together, but you're also truly focused, which nowadays has become a little bit of a miracle. when that can happen for two hours. I've just recently seen a couple of movies epics are luckily we were still able to you know we saw west side story and i was just like you know the the emotion it brought in me like you come out of that experience and it had been a while since i hadn't had an experience like that and it was just like there's no way that would punch my heart as much as it did when it was a this a communal completely focused experience so Let's. I sure hope because it'll take me anywhere a few years. So there's plenty of time. You would hope for the world to be back to no, somewhat normal.
0: Well, La Luna won our Lumiere Award. It was nominated for an Academy Award. That was ten years ago. This movie has been deeply affecting everyone who's seen it. What's next for you?
2: I think it's back to the drawing board for me here at Pixar. I think I I love the the kind of talent that I get to collaborate with here so I am staying put here and, and uh, pitching a new movie in weeks uh, so I'm, I'm back at the I guess I'm back in the port if we could go back to that uh, analogy and, and trying to find a new ship to go <laughs> and have another adventure on and it's exciting and I had such f- so much fun collaborating with some amazing talent so it, it's wonderful to start reconnecting to those people and, and on a
0: new journey. Well, we hope uh, in, in all of this you get some rest. <laughs>
2: yes, you're absolutely right, yeah.
0: <laughs> Enrico, thank you so much. Congratulations for the film. It's uh, it's a marvel.
2: Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to chat about it. Thank you.
0: When once in a while we get a chance to talk to uh, an actual director who's making a film and my respect for directors goes up after one of these conversations to hear all of the all of the challenges they're trying to meet and certainly during this very, very difficult time. And yet they end up creating a magnificent motion picture.
1: No, Jim, you're hundred percent right. Right. And this, this podcast wasn't different in that sense. I think it's amazing how to see how, you know, on one hand, you know, in the COVID time, sitting in the Zoom meetings, you know, have to deal with, with, you know, bringing a very personal story, right. Uh, Something which is very dear to his heart, his own experiences, you know, bringing that out, then working with young, you know, actors and actresses, right? So I I find it
0: amazing. The thing that is the through message that we have every time we talk to one of our filmmakers, whether it's Linus, the cinematographer of No Time to Die, or Enrico for Luca, is their imagery, their work, everything that they do is created for the big screen of a cinema. That's it. And when they find out that it won't be able to to be there, you can get a sense. They may not say it, but you can get a sense that uh, there's profound disappointment. True. How does the overall market look for 2022? I mean, Omicron, uh, I just talked to someone in London who said it's they're getting back to business there. How do you how do your customers how do how do the cinema world looking at 2022?
1: It, it's a it's a very good question I think in the sense that on one hand we feel enormous amount of I would call it burinish right of our customers saying this year we're gonna pick back up right the market is strong in the sense that people want to consume the content but but there are great titles coming, especially Q two and and three and four uh, fantastic titles are in the pipeline. So in that sense they're they really excited but then they always make the caveat you know of course, if, if another Omicron comes or another you know, kind of variant comes, that, then that will influence it. But at the same token, they're all very eager to get back the business running and they see the willingness for people to come back and enjoy the big screen because many of them have been, had little opportunity to do so. And then people also realize more than ever that people coming back means we're going to have to show a strong presentation. We're going to have to show a strong experience, right? And it's, it's from... Getting to the parking lot, buying the tickets, getting the food or the drinks served and being in the theater and experiencing the whole thing, letting it come to them. Of course, everybody's shorting cash as being in the exhibition world because of the two years of COVID have not helped in that. On the other hand, they need to invest. They know that. And they're making those tough decisions because they believe in the business. So the belief that this is a long-term viable business, I think, is stronger than ever. And that's, that's what I get echoed from many of our customers. And that's where we're working together with them on how can we make sure you can get people back to the theater and that, that people realize this is something which is going to be there for many years. And and we feel that more, uh, even the, the, the last, let's say, month and a half, felt it more than I would have said over the course of last year.
0: Well, uh, Spider-Man's success at the box yep. office has certainly, I think, surprised everybody. It could easily be a two billion dollar movie yeah. right next to avatar so who, who, who thought that and then the batman coming out in the first week of march yep. feels as if it could get everyone right back into movie theaters in march which is what we need right now and if the omicron if the viruses are cooperating and letting up we may have a window here for another massive opportunity for for getting back to the movies i know i know i miss it
1: yeah, no, you mentioned a good thing, Jim, there. Spider-Man was an interesting one. Because I know in Europe, we were in a tough spot, right? All the countries, and we even had places where, you know, I know Austria and so on, you know, made a, made a lockdown at the time. And so that was just at the moment when Spider-Man was coming out. Now, the U.S. was open. But what I realized, you know, that after the opening weekend, the first couple of weeks, people went to the theaters, right? So even this thing was hanging out there, which was called Omicron. And of course, it was... Less vital maybe than than some of the other variants, but but of course concerning people went out right, and especially when the vibe was out from hey this move is great right, and you're gonna have to see it, more people flock to it. So so that just shows that the fact of the people coming together experiencing that, and of course when the when the the critics or the opening weekend goes well, then that helps of course. But Spider-Man was for me a real proof point that that. I would say in the middle of of a variant, it, it's a record box office, and so people don't go out when when it doesn't when you know when they feel the movie is less important than the other things. So so, so it, it just showed people want to be able to have a good time too, right, and be able to go out, and then if, when there's a great title, they do so. So I think that was probably the reason why when I mentioned the last month, month and a half, I hear more optimism. I think that's triggered by that, right?
0: Well, we're excited about the year ahead and we'll, we'll do it together here on this podcast. And it was such a great conversation. Enrico gives me, gives me great hope for the future of uh, movies and certainly for the year ahead. So our quote of the day comes from Spider-Man star Tom Holland. Speaking of Spider-Man, he said in an interview recently, The harder you try, the better the impression on set you make with the people around you. The most important thing in anything you do is always trying your hardest because even if you try your hardest and it's not as good as you hoped, you still have that sense of not letting yourself down. Thank you, Wim. And special thanks to our guest today, Enrico Casarosa. Best of luck for Luca on Oscar night. Thank you all for listening. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Pilzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show, and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.